series on the life of Joseph. And this, this Sunday, I want to talk to you, and I'm, my desire, and I, and I have a sense um, from the Lord, I believe, uh, that this message and this topic in particular um, will actually resonate with you, hopefully in a deep way. And that's, that's the hope. By the way, that's the hope any time that a preacher gets up and preaches is like, our desire would be that Jesus would speak to you and challenge you with something real and practical in your life. Um, but as I was preparing this, I was, we're going to talk this morning about the favor of God. And I don't know what your thoughts are when you hear those words, favor of God. But I just want you to just think for a second about people that you've seen that you've actually watched them walk in what you would consider the favor of God. Like, what, it, what does it look like to walk in the favor of God? And I have a definition uh, up here on the screen. And um, so just want you to be thinking about this as we get started. So, and we're going to read a little bit from Joseph's life and, and talk about this deeper. But when I talk about favor, I'm talking about walking in the blessing of God to have approval, acceptance, special benefits, and blessings. Okay, so uh, I remember when I was probably 13 years old, um, I, I grew up in a context where I saw ministry happen on a regular basis through my parents' ministry that they started. And so it was kind of normal for me to see God do cool things in the context of ministry, to see people's lives change and transform and all that. Uh, and so it kind of got to the point where I was like, I was sort of used to that. And uh, when I turned 13, I got involved in, uh, there was a youth group in my city where the youth pastor, like, he just walked in God's favor. I don't know how else to describe it other than to say that this guy walked in the, the favor of God. And so I was about 13 years old, and I used to go to this youth group, um, and I watched it grow to this huge weekly event in our city that was drawing people in that I never would have thought would walk into a church. So I was 13, around 13 when I started going, and then in my early high school years, 14, 15, I watched this youth group grow, and every week, there was like 300 people coming out to this youth group. It, it blew my mind. And, and the people, and I went to public high school, and a lot of the people that I went to high school with were heavily involved in like crime and drugs and selling drugs and all this stuff. And I was watching people that were like involved in that kind of thing come to this youth group every week. And it got so bad. One night, um, one night I got wrestling around with one of the guys at this youth group, and, uh, and I think it was an accident, but he punched me in the face, split my lip open, and uh, I, was, I was bleeding. And I remember like, um, there, like we were fooling around, but there was actually quite a few times where something violent would happen at youth group because of who was coming. And so this youth group actually parked a cop car outside of the youth group every week. Like there was literally a police car parked outside just in case something happened. And then it wasn't, it wasn't out of the ordinary for this youth pastor. Um, he would like preach the gospel. He'd just lay it down. And, and people would come forward and they would like come to the front of the stage and they would surrender their lives to Jesus. And sometimes they would actually turn over weapons. There's like buckets at the, at the, at the like, stage and there would be like knives and sometimes drugs in the buckets. And you got to remember, I'm like 14 years old and it blew my mind. I was like, this is crazy. And there was uh, a bus used to go out into the city and they would go into all the rough neighborhoods and pick people up on the night of the youth group, bring them to youth group. And I just was like, and this youth pastor would get up and he would preach the gospel in a way that I had never experienced it before. I was like, man, like something is, something incredible is happening. Um, it got to the point, uh, he walked in so much favor and he had so much 
um, so many blessings as far as like his relationships with other people that uh, one night he actually held, he went to one of the popular clubs in town and he held this, like it was a Christian rave, okay? <laughs> like I grew up in a church setting. I wasn't allowed to go to raves, okay? So when I was like 14, 15 years old, if I was to go to my parents, be like, yeah, there's a rave happening, that would have been a no, okay? Um, but this guy was holding what, he went to this popular club and he held this like Christian rave, and uh, they checked at the door to make sure people weren't bringing stuff in that they shouldn't and all this stuff. And when I walked in, there was, like, lights and music and all this, like, techno crazy stuff. They had a breakdance competition. All these cool things were happening. And you, you walked in and thought, like, this is not like any church service I've ever been at. But then after about an hour of all the hype and all the craziness, they, they stopped the music. They shut everything down. And this youth pastor got up, and he preached the gospel message about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And there were so many people in the room that responded. And I was like, wow, like I was just, like it was the first time that I, like in my mind, started to understand what it looked like to walk in the favor of God. And I want to challenge you with something. So for me, I thought about favor like in a ministry context, okay? And, and the reason I'm excited about this, this message today is because we're looking in the life of Joseph, and he walked in favor in a different kind of a context than a ministry context. Joseph was a leader. Um, you don't see Joseph doing a lot of what we would consider to be evangelism, but he, he walked in these leadership abilities that God had given him, and, and God used that in a significant way to save millions of people. And so sometimes in church, we focus on like, the story I just told was about this youth pastor that just, it blew my mind when I was young, and it was because God was calling me into a similar kind of ministry. Like I, even at a young age, I knew God was calling me to preach his word, to tell other people about Jesus my whole life. But it's also the case that God raises people up and and they walk in his favor in the area of business or in a medical profession or in parenting or in all kinds of things. Like the gifts and abilities God's given us, he wants us to walk in those. And I believe that it is the case, that it is true, that all of the followers of Jesus can actually walk in the favor of God. And sometimes we kind of elevate the guy that I just told the story about, like the guy that was up on the stage and, and preaching the word, and we, we kind of compare ourselves and think, oh, I should be more like that. But I really, like the scriptures make it clear, all of us as followers of Christ can actually walk in the favor of God. And so I want to I give you these two um, definitions of success, okay? And they're going to be uh, on the same slide, worldly success and godly success. And I want to explain why sometimes uh, these two can be confusing. So worldly success... Uh, is it's to be the best at something, to, be, uh, to do something major, something significant, something that makes a person famous or known. So by the world's standards, if you're going to be successful, okay, it's to be the best at something. It's to do something really great, to, to be set apart from the crowd because of how good or gifted you are at something. Now, success according to the scriptures, and we're going to look at this, godly success is to do what you were created to do. So every person in this room, you can actually walk in the favor of God, and you can actually walk in the success of God when you do what you were created to do, to be who God created you to be, and to live and act in such a way that your life brings glory to God. Now here's what's true. There are some people who, who actually accomplished both types of success for God. 
And sometimes those people can be a little bit of a distraction to the rest of us, okay? Because we have a lot of times worldly thinking in our heads, and we think that if we're really successful, if we're really doing what God wants us to do, then we're going to be like the person who accomplishes success according to the first definition. And there's lots of examples of that even in church history, people that have done amazing things for God. They've done great things for God. And you, you've probably got lists of names of people that great preachers or they've done great things for God or they've, you know, attacked social evils and they've been successful in doing that. William Wilberforce, you know, someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or whoever name comes to mind that they accomplished success according to the first definition for God. And a lot of times we see those lives and we think, well, God's more pleased with that. But what I want to challenge you with, what I want to argue this morning from Scripture is that godly success is something that every person in this room can walk in. That all of us can actually walk in the favor of God, which is to do what you were created to do, to be who God created you to be. Every single person in this room. And Joseph, he's an example of a guy that hit success according to both of those definitions, the worldly success and the godly success. And so we read stories like Joseph, and some people are, like, encouraged. You read a story like Joseph, and you're like, man, I'm going to go and kind of do that in my life. But some people read it and feel discouraged because we're like, well, I don't have the same gifts and abilities and favor as Joseph. And so we feel less than. But what the scriptures make clear is, like, we actually can all walk in the favor of God. Like, we can do the things God has called um, and gifted us to do. Victor Frankl is a, a Holocaust survivor, um, wrote an incredible book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I just want to read you uh, a quote, something he said about success. He says, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. Just like, just think about that for a second. Success, like happiness, cannot be pursued, it must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. It's a really profound insight on success. So he's, Viktor Frankl is saying, don't aim at success because the more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. So Success, like happiness, and he compares it to happiness, it's not something you can pursue, it ensues, it follows. So if you pursue success, if we read a story like Joseph or we read another story from the Bible of somebody who accomplished success and we chase after that, we'll miss it. But if we dedicate and give ourselves to a cause greater than ourselves or we pursue a person, and I don't think Viktor Frankl was necessarily talking about Jesus, um, Victor Frankl was a, a Jewish man, an incredible, incredible thinker, power, wrote some profound things. But when I read that, I was like, when you dedicate and you surrender yourself to a person, to, to Jesus, like success tends to follow. The favor of God tends to follow. And it looks different in each person's life. And so with that, I want to read, um, I want to continue the story. We're, we're talking about Joseph, and, and uh, this week we're going to focus on the favor of God. And we're going to read um, Genesis chapter 41, and we're going to start in verse 28 and go to, and you can follow along. I hope I actually have enough of the uh, scripture in there because I, I put to verse 46, but in my notes I have it wrong. So anyways, hopefully it's all up on the screen. Um, but we're going to start in verse 28. So Genesis chapter 41, 
And just to refresh you, so where we're at in the story, um, Joseph is in prison, okay? So as you know, and we've been following his story, he was sold into slavery, he rises to a position of power, and then he's falsely accused of rape, and he's thrown in prison. And then he's in prison, and he rises to a position of power, authority, even esteem in the prison. He's right-hand man to the warden, and then he's forgotten about by somebody that could have helped him. And so Joseph's got 13 years after he gets a dream from God, he's got 13 years of just misery, of being stabbed in the back, of being rejected, of those closest to him not believing him. Um, he's all alone in this dungeon, in this prison cell, and somehow he has hope in God. Somehow he's able to love God in his darkest moments. And then, and, and he's got this dream. He knows, you remember, Joseph knows God gave him a dream 13 years before what we're about to read that he would someday rule. But he didn't fully understand what that meant. You know? And we talked about how initially Joseph had this thought in his mind of like a self-serving kind of leadership where he was going to rule, people were going to bow down, and there was this excitement in him about you know, he, he was going to be kind of the guy, the one that people look to. But God had bigger plans for Joseph, that his ruling, his, his position was actually going to serve other people and save millions of people. And so we're picking up the story now. He's right on the precipice of seeing his dream fulfilled. Um, and he's just interpreted Pharaoh's dream, okay? So we're picking the story up right after he interprets the king's dream. So what happened was Pharaoh had this, this dream that was disturbing him, and, and the guy that Joseph met in prison two years earlier, Pharaoh's cupbearer, he was like, hey, Pharaoh, I, I met a guy, when you locked me up in prison two years ago, uh, I, I met a guy that interpreted my dreams, and, and he spoke truth. What he said happened did happen. And so Pharaoh goes, well, bring him to me. I've got these dreams that are disturbing me. I need to know the interpretation. And so this is where um, we're jumping in the story from. So this will happen just as I have described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. So Joseph is interpreting these two dreams that, that Pharaoh had. And if you want to Read the dreams. You can, you can read the first part of chapter 41. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough food to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. And I'm going to keep reading the story. But So Joseph, it's really interesting what we see happening here. So Joseph is interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. And you've got to imagine that in his mind, he's thinking, this is it. Like, this is, the, this is what God um, revealed to me 13 years ago, that I'm going to get to serve alongside of Pharaoh, and I'm going to get to, you know, save Egypt and the surrounding land, like all the known world, from this famine that's going to come. But then you read his suggestion. So he interprets the dream, the two dreams. And then in verse 33, he says, so therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man. Then Joseph just suggests, like, you should find somebody to lead this. And he doesn't, and, and commentators, by the way, are kind of, dis, they disagree on what Joseph might have been insinuating. 
Some people think Joseph was like, you should find a guy to do that job, okay? Like, there's a, just find somebody intelligent and wise and he's got the ability and he's capable. Find that guy, okay? Some people think that that's how Joseph interpreted the dream. He was kind of like pointing to himself. But the, the scriptures don't give us any indication of that. Joseph, he interprets the dream, which blows Pharaoh's mind. And all of the spiritual people and the astrologers of the day couldn't um, help Pharaoh. That's why they had to summon Joseph. And so Joseph does it, and then he just says, and find someone to do it. It's almost like Joseph had gotten to the point in his life where he, he could now almost taste freedom. Like, he, he could almost taste this, like, dream being fulfilled, being the leader, being who God wanted him to be. But he just got to the point where he's like, he left it in God's hands. He interpreted the dream, and he said, make sure you find somebody that can actually carry this out so that people's lives are saved. And he just left it with God. And then the story goes on. Pharaoh and, and all of his men, they look at Joseph, and they see the person who is able to do this. So Joseph's suggestions, verse 37, were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find someone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? You remember, Pharaoh, he actually, he, he served multiple gods. Egypt was a polytheistic nation who served all kinds of gods and different deities. And, and nobody that served any of those gods, none of his priests, none of his wise men, could do what Joseph has just done. And so just by interpreting this dream, which Joseph earlier says only God can interpret dreams, Pharaoh sees, he goes, can we find anybody else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Joseph hasn't tried to evangelize Pharaoh at this point. He was just doing the thing that God had given him an ability to do, which was interpret dreams. And he he gave glory to God. He gave God credit. And Pharaoh recognizes, like, this guy's filled with God's Spirit. So to walk in the favor of God, as a Jesus follower, one of the things that is evident is, is that a person just is filled with God's spirit. It's, it's evident in a person's life who's walking in the favor of God. Can we find anybody else like this man, so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. If God hadn't humbled Joseph for those 13 years of just misery and drudgery, I don't know that he could have handled that kind of compliment. Like, it's one thing for, which doesn't happen to me often, right? But if one of my kids were like, Dad, you're so intelligent, right? That, which doesn't happen all the time. Does that happen, like, all the time? Or you guys are like, Dad, you're just so smart. We, we talk a lot of trash with each other, right? But if one of my kids said that, I'd be like, okay. But if, like, the leader of our country or a world leader said to me, Nathan, you are, you are intelligent and wise beyond anybody else in this generation, I don't know that I could handle that. <laughs> okay? Like, I, I don't know what that would do to me. I don't know what it would do to you. And I think of Joseph, all of these 13 years of just misery and drudgery and difficulty, God is like shape, shaping him and molding him into the kind of person that wouldn't get swelled up by this kind of comment and who would actually use his God-given abilities to serve other people. Right? And so his 13 years of being lied about and being forgotten and being trampled on by all those that love him actually accomplished something good. It's incredible. And so when he gets this compliment, it doesn't go to his head. He's able to see what God is up to. Verse 40, you will be in charge, Pharaoh says, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot 
reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. So everywhere he went, people just knelt down before him. I mean, I don't know about you, but that would be a pretty heady opportunity. If everywhere you went, people just were like, you are the greatest, right? If everywhere Tim went, people were like, Tim is the best of the best. He is top dog. He, he rules the roost. He is, you know, like, it would be hard for that not to go to someone's head. And so Joseph's 13 years of difficulty actually led to him being able to, to hear these kinds of things and to still give glory and honor and credit to God. Pharaoh said to him, I'm Pharaoh, but nobody will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, zaphnath paneah He also gave him a wife whose name was Asnath. She was the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. And so that's just a snapshot, and, and if you want to get the fuller context, you can read all of chapter 41 um, or everything right through the whole story of, of Joseph. Um, so the context is really important, but in this little snapshot, we see Joseph, he's actually stepping into the calling that God had placed on his life. He's actually uh, becoming the person he was called to be, created to be, and his dream that he had at the age of 17 is actually being fulfilled. And so I want to just, I want to make three really important points from this. And, uh, and this, this kind of like, these points that I want to make, they're going to they're gonna go along with the whole story of Joseph that we've, we've been in. And you're going to see this in his life. But I want to just remind you that what we're talking about is the favor of God. And, and, and what the main point I want to make today, and what I believe Scripture teaches us, is that every person who is a follower of Jesus can actually walk in the favor of God. Like, you, you can walk in his favor. And it'll look different in each person's life, but we can all, all walk in his favor and walk according to success on God's terms. So the first, the first point is that knowing your calling and purpose is the first step to walking in God's favor. I just want to ask you, just, just think with me. Like, would you, if somebody asked you, like, what, what is your calling? What is your purpose? Would you be able to say what that is? So the, the first, if, you want, if you're going to be a person, and this is what I believe God is speaking to us, if you're, if you're going to be someone who walks in the favor of God, like the first step is to actually know what your calling is. And, and would you be able to say that you know what it is? I want to just show you something that, that is a pattern or, or uh, something that is, is evident in Scripture. And if you're older than 30 and you don't know your calling, don't let this be a discouragement, okay? This is not like a hard, fast if you've missed the 30 boat, you've missed everything, okay? But you'll notice in Scripture, there's a number of people. Joseph is one of them. King David is another. King Saul is another. The prophet Ezekiel is another one. Jesus is another one. Who, at 30 years old, they stepped into their calling. It's interesting, too. If you read through the Old Testament, that um, it was the tribe of Levi okay, that were, they served as priests before God. And so they, they were the priests that represented the people of Israel to God, and they represented God to the people. Well, they actually stepped into their role as priests at the age of 30, and they would serve until they were 50. 
okay? And so there's this interesting pattern in Scripture where people at 30 years old oftentimes would step into their calling. And I just want you to think, and maybe, maybe you're past 30, maybe you're before 30, but at that age in life, you've, you've come through like some of the most difficult years of life. And you've probably learned a lot about yourself. And a lot of people around that age have come to realize like their gifts and their abilities and what they're good at. And so for, I just want to focus on, because I think there's probably a lot of us in the room that are older than 30. And I just want you to think back, like, are there some things that God has revealed to you, maybe early in your life, that were confirmed when you were about 30 years old? Like, by the time you were 30, where you just realized, like, I think these are some of the things that I'm good at. I think these are some of the things that, that I've been gifted by God to do or to be a part of. And if you're not, if you haven't reached that age, like, like Joseph, he went through some of his most difficult years between the ages of 17 and 30 after he knew he was called by God. And he went through some really challenging times. And God was actually sharpening uh, and molding him into the person he wanted him to be. And so I wanna, I'm going to put this up here. Uh, there's um, an author by the name of uh, Robert Clinton. And, and he, he studied the lives of hundreds of leaders. Okay, so some of them being like A.W. Tozer, Watchman Nee, all kinds of Christian leaders. And he actually found some patterns in the lives of, of these leaders. And this will be up on the, the screen. I think there's an image there if, it's, if it works. And so, um, and I just want you to just think about this because I, I really believe that um, the Lord has actually called each person in this room for a specific purpose, a specific calling, and we can all walk in that favor. And so um, you can kind of like skim down through that if you want to. But, uh, but what Robert noticed, okay, in his study of hundreds of leaders, and he's a professor at a, a university down in the States where he studies the lives of successful Christian leaders, is that each person who, who walked in godly success, who walked in some incredible things for God, they went through a season in their life where there was like God laid some sovereign foundations. God did some deep work in the heart of a leader where they started to think like, I think God's calling me. I think he's speaking to me. I think he has this plan or this purpose for my life. And then they went through a period of inner life growth where the leader learns more about God, about prayer, communion with God. And so there's this inner life growth period where a person starts to connect with God, starts to hear his voice, starts to be challenged by, by who God is and maybe what it means to serve him. And then there's a, a stage of ministry maturing. And his context, by the way, is he was studying people that had done things in, in ministry. And he said, and people came to this place of like ministry maturing where a leader got involved in some form of ministry. They started using the, the gifts God had given them to challenge other people, to, to point people to, to Jesus in some way. They were um, using their God-given gifts, but they weren't necessarily effective yet. The first three stages... Clinton points out that those three stages, they're not about necessarily success in ministry or bearing fruit or, or effectiveness. It's about learning about who a person is and what God has gifted them with. And then there comes a stage where there's like life maturing, where in uh, this phase is marked by communion with God. Ministry flows out of being. The leaders become confident of who God is, God's call in his or her life, and God is more important than success in ministry. And then for people that have walked in successful ministry, Clinton says there's this stage of life where convergence happens, where a person is like, they understand who God is, who they are, and they just walk in this, like, this season of just like success in, in ministry and in with God. And as I was like 
studying these different phases, I was like, man, like, I, I, I could speak for myself, but as a pastor, I think about you. And I'm like, man, I want to see a church, a community full of people who just have come to a deep understanding of, of who God is, but also who he's created you to be. You know that it is so vital. Like, knowing who God is is obviously really important. It's something we emphasize in church a lot. But do you know what I think is almost as important? Is knowing who God has created you to be. And there's a, there's a, and, and these formulas, I'm not saying if you haven't realized something by 30, you've missed it. There's all kinds of examples of people not stepping into their calling until later. Moses was 80. My dad used to love saying to people, if you're still under 80 and you feel God's call, there's no excuse, okay? He used to love telling people that. So there's, but, but there is something that happens at a point in your life where you, you start to realize some things about yourself. And maybe when you read down through this list, you're, you're, you can see where maybe that pattern took place in your life where you started to have some, you know, encounters with God and understanding of him. And my desire as we talk about the life of Joseph and as we like look at what does that mean for our lives is that we would all get to this point of convergence where there's a deep understanding of God, but also a deep understanding specifically of who he's created you to be. What, what specifically has God created you to be and to walk in? And so the first one is, is knowing your calling and purpose is the first step in walking in God's favor. The second is that walking in God's favor reveals God to an unbelieving world. In verse 37, it says that Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anybody else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. It reminds me, there's a, there's a scene in the book of Acts where the apostles, like after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles, they were going out amongst the people and they were doing amazing things in the name of Jesus. They were healing people, they were preaching, and all the religious people are super jealous, okay? And they're like, you guys can't be out doing this. We're the religious people. We're the ones with the education. And, and they bring them before this council, this Sanhedrin, and it says that Peter and John, they spoke with such boldness, such eloquence, that, in, and it says this in Acts chapter 4, that the crowd looking in on them said, these guys must have been with Jesus. Like there was something about them that made it obvious they had been in the presence of Jesus. And when you and I walk in our calling, it actually gives glory to God. Walking in God's favor reveals God to an unbelieving world. And I just want to draw, I want to draw your attention to this for a second, okay? So um, the, the scriptures are, are so beautiful because they, they show the diversity of God, the, the calling God has on people's lives. So if you study the life of a guy like Jonah, Jonah was a lot like the youth pastor I told the story about at the beginning, okay? Jonah, he's called by God to go preach to this group of people, the Ninevites, and he preaches to them and they all repent. Nineveh goes through this massive revival. And Jonah's actually mad about it, okay? That's a whole other part of the story. He doesn't like it because he's pretty judgmental and angry and he hates the people of Nineveh. But his preaching was so effective that it caused this revival to happen. But do you notice something different in Joseph's story? Like, in Joseph's story, his gift that God had given him wasn't a gift of preaching. Joseph was an incredible leader. Well, he had two gifts. He was good at interpreting dreams, but he was an incredible leader and administrator and God raised Joseph up at a time when a leader was needed to save all of the people from a worldwide famine. 
I don't know if it gives you hope, but when I see stories like that in the scripture, I'm like, God desires to just bless people to use their God-given abilities. And using your God-given ability, to, like walking in God's favor, it actually is proof to an unbelieving world of the goodness and grandeur and amazingness of God. And so whatever your gift is, and it could be all kinds of different things. I was thinking about our church. We've got photographers that come to our church, medical professionals, business owners, blue-collar workers who work at Walmart, Superstore, fast food. We have stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, people that are retired, people that lead ministries like, like Grace Place and Northwind and Teen Challenge. Like, there's so many people that make up this church, right, that, that, and I probably missed some of what people do here. But to walk in God's favor means that you actually do what you're called to do with excellence and it gives favor to God. Or your favor points to the glory of God. You know, as a pastor, I'm constantly aware. Like, I love to tell people about Jesus. But I, I don't get to be in all of the places that you get to be in the run of a week. And, and when I read the story of Joseph, what it, what it gives me hope to do is like, God has actually called some people here to be stay-at-home moms or to serve in the medical profession, and to actually use those gifts and to develop them to the point where you're doing it with excellence. And everything you do, you do to honor and glorify God. And if, in Colossians chapter 3, listen to Paul's words as he encourages the people of Colossae. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master that you are serving is Christ. So we tend to elevate. We're like, the story I told at the beginning about my youth pastor, we're like, oh, that's ministry. And if you do something else, sometimes you feel like you're less than. But when you read the scriptures, God, he actually loves to put his favor on all kinds of different people, people that serve in business, people that serve in childcare, people that are home with their children. Whatever it is that God has called you to do uniquely, God wants you to walk in his favor. And that actually glorifies God when you and I walk in the calling and the gifts that he's given us. So walking in God's favor reveals God to an unbelieving world. And lastly, and this is the point of, this is the point of everything that, that I'm saying from the story, is that you, okay, and that applies to you, okay, this is a plural you, this is for everybody here, can walk in the favor of God. And, and I, this is what I want to end with. This is the challenge I want to I bring to us this morning, is do you actually pursue God in your life in a way that you think about what your specific calling is? Like, have you, have you wrestled through, have you thought through, like, what is the specific calling that God has placed on your life? And do you view that as something that he's given you? Do you seek to walk in God's favor in that calling? When I think of the, the gospel and for anybody here that understands the gospel, like, when you understand what Christ has done for you, it actually changes everything. You know, when we, when we come to an understanding of, like, that what Jesus did on the cross, that he actually did that for me. He actually saved me. There was nothing I could do to save myself. Jesus did that because of his love for me. And he's invited me into a relationship. Like, it just changes everything. But sometimes walking out after that, like walking in our daily lives, when we're, when we're just living our lives and pursuing our career, pursuing our gifts and callings, sometimes we almost feel like there's like, it's kind of separate. Like if I was really serving God, then I would be going overseas on the mission field, or I would be preaching or being on a worship team. 
And for some of us, that's the case. God's calling that. But there are people here, like God has uniquely given you a gift and an ability, and he wants to use that to bring glory to himself through your life. And do you see it that way? Like, did you know that you can actually walk in the favor of God? When you're, when you're at school, when you're studying, when you're pursuing your, your career. I, uh, I, some people's, I'm going to just list some names, okay? Because I like, was thinking about us as a congregation as I was getting ready for, for this week. Um, Alexis, who's here this morning, she's, she's studying at med school um, to pursue being a doctor. We have Ogale, who's in, who's in the same position. I think, I don't know if Ogale's here. Um, Alyssa, I don't know if, I'll just list the names. I don't know if they're all here, but Alyssa, Jeremy's wife, she's picked up some courses and is working towards a counseling degree. Randy and Jeremy are pursuing pastoral licensing in the Wesleyan Church. Brian um, works at a tech web hosting industry, and he's, he's continuing to further his training. Megan and Dave are professional photographers, and they are looking to take their businesses to the next level. Aylen is retired, and she's constantly volunteering. She's looking for ways to, to grow and to become better at volunteering and serving Christ. My wife, Vicki, is an incredible mom to our six kids, and she, she stays home and, and, and invests in their life. Gary and Melody started Grace Place 15 years ago and serve the vulnerable in our community in an incredible way. Patty is on the symphony orchestra, um, and when she told me that, I was thinking, I'd like to get you playing your instrument on stage, but she's like, well, it's kind of different than, <laughs> uh, than that, but she, she's like uh, a musician that plays at that level. James um, works at Upfront Auto as a mechanic. John, it was, I don't know if John's up there or not, but sometimes I go over to John's house, and I'm blown away at his knowledge of how to like construct something from the ground up and his understanding of whatever it is he sets his mind to. And I've missed lots of names. There's tons of people here that you serve in different ways or you have different roles. And I tried to cover kind of a broad spectrum. And I like, was getting ready for this message and I was like, I really believe God wants to put his favor on every single person that's in this room in whatever it is that you set your hand to do. And that Joseph's story could be a distraction because you think, well, I'll never serve at the level that Joseph did where I'll have like recognition from the whole world or renown um, in the same way. But God actually desires for us to walk in godly success, which is to do the very thing that he's created us to do. It could be an athlete. It could be. And so do you take the God-given gifts and abilities that you have and bring them before God and say, God, I just want to do this to the best of my ability and I want to trust you with the results. The results in Joseph's life was that he impacted millions of people, and he did so by using his gifts of dream interpretation and being a good leader. And I believe all of us together um, can reveal the glory of God by walking in his favor. Our vision statement at Transformation Church is that we exist to make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ that will have a significant and lasting impact on the city of Thunder Bay and beyond. And the way that happens is that we gather like we do corporately together. We worship Jesus wholeheartedly. And then we take the God-given gifts and abilities that he's given us and we, and we offer them to him. And, and uh, I, don't wanna, I wanna close with this. And this is, I just felt to challenge some people this week with this. Like, have you thought about furthering your gifts and abilities, whatever it is? whether that's like pursuing more education or training or reading up on what it is you're doing. Even if you're a stay-at-home parent and you think, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home parent, like, do, do you think about ways you can become a better 
parent and invest in your children more effectively to the glory of God. Like that's what it means to walk in the favor of God is that we actually take serious what he's given us and we, we do it with excellence for his glory and for his credit. I'm just going to call the, the team to come up and uh, sing these last couple songs. And, and I just want to encourage you, like even as we sing these songs, if the Lord's challenged you with something, with taking some kind of a step forward, uh, I want to encourage you to take that step. But I also just want us to be aware, like I believe as a community, um, you know, we look around Thunder Bay and there's a lot of need in our city. There's a lot of things that still need to be done. We talked about this in prayer this morning. And I believe even within this room that God has specifically and uniquely gifted people to do the things that need to be done in our city. Like he specifically and uniquely gifted people to to do things that are going to have an impact for him. And sometimes it's just by you using your God-given gifts and abilities uh, in a way that just honors and glorifies him and gives, gives him credit. And if, if the Lord is challenging you to take some kind of step forward in that, I just want to encourage you to respond to that. Because every person in this room can walk in the favor of God. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for how, God, you speak to us through stories like Joseph, um, other stories in Scripture. And Lord, I just pray that this morning as we, we think about your word, we think about what it means to walk in your favor, um, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged to know that you're doing a deep work in each one of us. Lord, that, Lord there's people in this room that you've uniquely gifted, you've, you've uniquely called for a specific purpose and a specific time. And I just pray, Lord, that we would actually hear your voice, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get caught comparing ourselves to somebody else and saying, oh, well, I'm not going to be as good as so-and-so, and so I'm, I'm less than. No, Lord, you've, you've actually called each one of us to a specific calling and purpose. And I just pray that you would challenge our hearts to actually take, a, take that serious and to continue to take steps towards becoming more effective and developing and maybe even getting more training or, or, or whatever that may be in our, our lives, Lord. Just help us to respond to you. And I just pray, Lord, that, um, that we just want to lift up our city, God. We, we love the city of Thunder Bay. We love where you've called us to live. And we desire to see more people encounter you in a life-changing and real way. And uh, so we love you, God. We honor you. We glorify you. And I just pray that even as we sing these last couple songs, that we'd continue to hear you speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.